Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine fanatics who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, her favorite wines. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Suzanne Pfeiffer-Pavitt, who is featured in Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. Suzanne is the founder and proprietor of Pfeiffer-Pavitt Winery. She's a wife, a mother, philanthropist, and keen of being a steward of the land. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Suzanne, thank you so much for staying down with us today. Yes, thank you for having me. Let's talk about your career. What was your first professional job? Well, my first professional job was probably in high school, and I was a biscuit maker at Hardee's in the small little bucolic town of Ringgold, Georgia. That was my first professional job. Who knew? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was it was brut- brutal hours with uh, the biscuit maker has to be there at about 3 a.m. So there was no staying out late the night before. So are you still a good biscuit maker today? I am a good biscuit maker, yes. I'm a southern girl. It's kind of a requirement in our DNA. So after you were a biscuit maker... Where did your career lead you? Then uh, when I went on to college, uh, I found myself out in Southern California, did kind of a Mr. Toad's Wild Ride trip with a dear, dear friend. We rode cross country, and I was hired for a summer job as a typist with Lockheed Aircraft Service Company. And one thing led to another, and my boss came in about two weeks in and said, have you ever had a top secret clearance? And I said, no, sir, I'm only 19. I have not. And he said, is there any reason why you can't get one? And I said, you don't know my dad, my daddy. No, I'm clean as a whistle. So I wound up getting a job with Lockheed Aircraft working on their computer systems on a low-level radar development system and running the computer systems in the back of this gutted-out C-130. It was terribly exotic for a girl from northwest Georgia. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's fascinating. So what was the turning point in your career? What got you to where you are today? So I was in high-tech with uh, Lockheed, and then I was hired to a firm that did high-tech equipment leasing out of Chicago. And I wound up spending the majority of my career with them about 14 years And it was the very first dinner that I went to with Comdisco, which was the name of the company. We sat down at a dinner table at a lovely restaurant in Chicago, and we were hosting clients. And the gentleman, the lead salesperson, basically asked for the wine list and navigated the wine list like a surgeon. And I was fascinated. Everyone was wrapped with attention as to how he asked all the right questions and what food we're having and what you're, you know, what you like and what you're, you're attracted to. And just everyone was just totally focused on him. And I said, I want to learn how to do that. I want to understand wine better. And of course, growing up in Northwest Georgia, did not have access to, to fine wines, uh, either from Napa Valley or from around the world. And so it became a passion of mine to taste a lot of wines, explore a lot of wines. And I thought, you know, not only was I really interested, I quickly discerned that that would be a tool in my sales belt to entertain clients, to make them feel comfortable with wine, that you can take a, an ordinary meal and with the right ball of wine, make it extraordinary. And I said, 
I want to do that. And that became my life's passion of loving and exploring wine and other adult beverages and uh, helping other people to want to come and try to figure it out because it's a little daunting. There's so many wines, so many things to choose from, and some people just aren't sure how to get started. So that was my launching off part was to help entertain clients. Okay, so you entertained clients. How did that evolve into saying, I want to have a winery in the Napa Valley. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How do you make that transition? I was on one of what my husband and I call our, one of our more elaborate date nights. We were eating and drinking our way through Tuscany, and we were in the gorgeous town of Montalcino. And I'm sure I was reading some self-help book at the time about how to develop your five-year plan. I don't remember which book, but I know I was reading something. And I said, you know, babe, we should really take a piece of paper, each of us, and write down 10 things. If we could live anywhere in the world, do anything, where would we live and what would we do? And don't get caught up in why we can't or the money or all any of the issues. Just let's just free flow think. We're in we're in Montalcino. We're eating. We're drinking. Mi amore. They love the whole. You know, you you can't help but love life when you're eating your way through through Italy. And so, he took a piece of paper and wrote down ten things, and I took a piece of paper and wrote down ten things. And would you know that on both of our crazy, fun list, one thing was we both said we'd have a little boutique winery somewhere in the world. We'd make wine, and if it was meant to be, that's where the next part of our life would be. And that launched this desire for me, and to know me is to know I love a project. So I started looking at properties all up and down the western half of the United States. We went to Oregon. We went to Southern California. We, we certainly, we, of course, we came to the Napa Valley and Sonoma, but we didn't beeline straight for here. And on one of the many wild goose chases at looking at properties we happened upon this sign that said for sale by owner and I called on it now I'll back up and say what we were looking for was a little two acre fixer that had some grapes already on it and my husband was in finance and he kind of put his foot down and said this is what we want and I called on this property and the gentleman said well uh, it's a very special piece of property I'll meet you next Friday and I'll show you the property. And I said, oh, that's lovely. I would, we'd love to meet you, but I don't want to waste your time. I'd like to know how much the property is. What are you asking? How much land it is? And is it planted? Is there structure? Well, you'll just have to find out. Come and visit. Uh, well, with all due respect, I don't want to waste your time. He was so insistent that I said, great. Next Friday is Good Friday. The market was closed. I was, I was, my office was closed as well. And so I made plans and arrangements for us to come up to Calistoga and look at this piece of property. And on the drive up, my husband says, I'm so excited. Tell me about this piece of property. And I said, ah, oh, you remember? It was that one we saw for sale by owner. And he says, great. How much? Is it? I mean, what is it? Tell me about it. Like, well, I don't actually have the answers to that. <laughs> Well, but how much is it? How much is he asking? I don't know, babe. Mm. How many acres? Inconclusive. Not sure. Does it have grapes? Again, not really certain on that. And he said, we're going on a big wild goose chase. And I said, perhaps. But the worst case scenario is we wind up in Napa and we have lunch. I mean, what's, you know, what's bad about that? 
but it wouldn't end that way. I was smitten by the property. It turned out to be just under 24 acres, had never been developed. Uh, this gentleman's family had owned it for 100 years and had the deed from the original settlers when they came across and formed each of the California plots. So we have the deed from 1890. Oh, wow. So this piece of property had really good bones and really good structure. And to be candid, Michelle, we had no business buying it. 24 acres of nothing. We're living in the city. And I said, let's do it. Was it a good price? Don't tell me how much. It was, well, <laughs> let me just say that in hindsight, it was a great price. But for two 32-year-olds who've just been married, it was a lot of money. We couldn't stay here on the week. I mean, there was no lodging. You know, there was nothing but potential. Right. And people ask me to tell this story so many times. And the only thing I can say is I was just open. I was open to the possibility that day. And I said yes, because if I'd said no, my life would be totally different. And that is what launched what ultimately became this quest for making beautiful Napa Valley wines at Pfeiffer Pavit Winery. And here we are. And here we are. In this charming structure, which is your winery, mm -hmm. which has got breathtaking views. Thank you. Let's talk about the building. We start with the outside of this building, and you know I'm a, a big person of energy. You put that energy out, and it can come back. And I had put the energy out that I was really looking for some reclaimed barn wood. And at the time, that had become very in vogue and popular. And the price was also going up. So oh, maybe, maybe not so much. From my part of the world in Georgia, I probably could have dro driven back and gotten a deal. But there wasn't a deal to be had here. However, the universe did smile upon me, and uh, someone said, you know, there's a person within about five miles of here who's tearing down an old, uh, an old structure, and they're offering up the wood. And my friend Joe said, I think it's a 100-year-old redwood. It's been painted, but we can mill it back down to its original patina. And so the exterior of the barn is a 100-year-old redwood, Re Mother Nature's processing. It's all natural. And then when we came inside, we were able to collect uh, reclaimed snow fencing from throughout the state of Wyoming. So all of the wood that's here inside, you would find along the highways and the byways of Wyoming, and they do it to protect and keep the big snow drifts from coming on the highway. So I had a couple of trucks show up with this. It was kind of sight unseen. And when it showed up, I said, oh, no, I have bought, you know, like oceanfront property in Arkansas. This is terrible. It's <laughs> twisted and warped and full of nails. And we hand-trucked it. We forklifted it up, hand-trucked it in, and started pulling the nails out and then planing it board by board. And this, for those listening, they'll have to come and visit to get the full effect. But it is uh, really Mother Nature's patina being out in, in the weather for about 10 years before we put the boards up, we insulated the entire building with recycled blue jeans. And then every corner in this building, for anyone who's a craftsman and really intrigued in woodworking, is mitered. So it's a mathematician's nightmare to get the perfect angle. And every single corner is angled like that. So it, it gives it, it's rustic yet refined. It gives it this intriguing kind of feeling. The chandeliers are reclaimed hog wire and uh, hay baling wire that I fashioned, hung some medicine bulbs. They just fit with, uh, with the patina of the room. 
And then we're sitting at a hanging black walnut table. It's a 2,000 pound piece of black walnut that hangs on what's kind of a girdle. It floats in the center of the room. It has a little side-to-side -side motion, as you discovered when you sat down, but no forward and back motion, and that's just so the wood doesn't fissure in those naughty little things called earthquakes. So uh, the side product of that is if you've sat here a little too long in your wine tasting and perhaps over-imbibed, if we move the table, you immediately put your foot down on the ground. It's just kind of a Pavlovian response. So all of these little pieces just kind of make up what we hope is a very welcoming and warm uh, experience for our visitors to come in the winery. Want more on today's interview? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. It's available on our website at winecountrywomen.com. What was the inspiration of the building? Well, the inspiration to me is a little bit of my southern background. When you come to the Napa Valley, you can have it all. An Italian mausoleum, a foreign castle, I mean, you name it. I mean, there's something for everyone, every architectural type. And I thought, instead of trying to go too far outside of my comfort zone, why don't I make a space that has that reminiscent feeling of being in the South and warm and welcoming. And so this is a board and batten facade barn with a galvanized tin roofing. So it would fit in the south, but it also fits well here in Calistoga. So that was really my inspiration of kind of staying close to home to, to what I feel comfortable with. So it's not a bad place to come to work. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So in your current position, staying on track with your career, that is. Yes, ma'am. What's the most challenging part of it? Ooh, there are so many amazing, wonderful pieces to running a winery, but inventory and shipping are probably the least fun for everyone right yeah it just it's hard uh, especially because many people have come to think of shipping product as being an amazon experience and it's not for us for us in the business especially for the small family-owned proprietors we're not making anything on shipping we're simply passing it along but it's hard to educate the consumer on that. And so you, you have to really delicately walk that tightrope of explaining to people. And then, of course, when you're making highly sought after, you know, small quantities of wine, you have to make certain that it gets to the client in perfect condition, whether it's cold, hot, rainy, you know, any of those situations we need to make sure. So to being it, having it shipping, shipped, excuse me, temperature control, shipping takes up a lot. Okay, best part of your job? Best part of my job, besides the artistry in making the wine, is meeting the people, hands down. The these majority of the people that come through the door, we're by appointment and referral at Pfeiffer Pavitt Winery, but the majority of people that come through are strangers when they enter, but they leave as friends. And so I really find it a personal challenge to find that thread of common ground. And we all, it may be, you know, dental floss thin, like we're completely different backgrounds, completely different parts of the world. But if you sit in an unrushed environment over a great glass of wine, 
ultimately you find a thread of connection with everyone that comes. And so I love meeting the people. So we're sitting here at this fabulous table we yep. talked about. Yep. There happens to be three bottles of wine here. There are. Yes. These are the three that you make. I make more than these, but these are... Your flagship? Yeah. So we have the Pfeiffer Pavot Date Night Sauvignon Blanc, which we make in more of a Sancerre style. And that is a flagship wine for us. The Pfeiffer Pavot Date Night Cabernet Sauvignon, which is also our flagship. Mm -hmm. And I started with that in 2005. Those two make up the majority of the wine that we make here. And then we make a few micro-production lots. The newest one, only our second release here, is the Pfeiffer Pavot Crossroads, or X-Roads. And uh, there's a little story behind that. But we also make a micro-production rosé of Cabernet in the Saunier method, about 50 cases. We also make a sparkling, oh. a method champenois, another female grower that we collaborate with um, and we make that here in-house and then we also make a reserve cabernet 100 percent cab it's in a beautiful wooden box individually wrapped uh, three bottle box that's pretty much oh yes and we do extra virgin olive oil from the property so a little estate extra virgin olive oil that's what we're doing for now in pfeiffer pavet winery well, I think there's one more thing that you're doing. <laughs> there is one more thing. We just launched um, our newest uh, product, which is a spirit. And we took an eight-year Tennessee whiskey, and uh, that was placed in 15 Pfeiffer Pavot Cabernet barrels. We shipped those barrels to Bardstown Bourbon Company in Kentucky. Uh, the mash bill meets that of a traditional uh, bourbon mash bill, but it started out as a Tennessee whiskey. So it's technically a bourbon whiskey about, uh, so I said an eight-year product with 20 months final aging in the Cabernet barrels, and we released that a few weeks ago. Very exciting. Yes. So all the fabu fabulous people that you're meeting, most of them are enjoying the first two wines that you pointed out. That's great. Right? I'm curious, is there someone that has inspired you? Oh, my goodness. Through the course of your career sure. or inspires you now or maybe someone even in history who has been an inspiration to you? Sure. Well, there are a lot of people that, uh, a lot of uh, vintners that inspire me now, um, especially some of uh, the female characters. Vintners are just a, a, a special a special individual. They're farmers, but they're artists. And so I, I am very clear and very honored to be in an industry where there have been some amazing breakthroughs with female winemakers. Um, a good friend of mine is Heidi Barrett, and Heidi represents everything that, as as a woman, we strive for. She's an amazing mother. She's an she was an amazing daughter. She's now an amazing has a grandchild. I'm not sure what name she's being called, but she's a, a grandparent now. She's an amazing winemaker. She's an amazing painter and jeweler. She's a diver. She's a very uh, has a wide variety of, of strengths and she has been fearless 
and her quest to make beautiful wines. So she is someone that I absolutely respect and look up to. Kathy Corison. Kathy has been making beautiful, exquisite wines for a very long time. Again, while being a mother, while being a business owner, doing all those things. And I, I just love that we as feminine female characters, you know, we can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. We can do it all. And that we're you know, not afraid to bust through any perceived barriers. I think those barriers are becoming less, but that's a different conversation. But I, I see that now that there's no stigma associated with your position. And so I know for a fact that most of the Pam Starr, another one, the best Cabernet Franc in the Valley. She's Pam has been fearless in her quest. And and then there's a lot there's so many. Mia Klein, I could go on and on to these women. They all bring something new and exciting to the table. And I am inspired by them in that, but I'm also inspired that they're all non competitive and willing to help anyone else in the industry. So in my tech environment, in my technology background, women were not like that. If they helped you, that was a detriment to them. They felt like they were missing out. And I don't see that here. I don't see it in Napa or in Sonoma. I see everyone wants, we're so proud of what we do that we want to elevate it. So those women have really, um, really inspired me just particularly in this, in this business. Well said. Do you feel like you've reached success? I do feel like I've reached success. I feel like I've really, I strive for balance. Mm-hmm. Because we, I think that's really what it's all about. Regardless of what we're doing, I've got to take care of self. So I think the fact that I figured out that if I don't take care of me, I can't take care of anyone else. And I feel really blessed that I figured that out. Not in a selfish way, just a, I need to tend to me. Um, you know, kind of a southernism. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Like you've got to, you've got to do what you need to do. And so, I take care of me. I take care of my family. I take care of my business. But I'm always cognizant of trying to balance it all. And it's been, it's been a battle because I think when you first start out, whatever career you're in, you just full tilt, throw yourself into it and forsake friendships. And, you know, how many of us have been in that situation and you haven't seen your best friend in weeks or months and you you just are so caught up in your moment. But I feel like I've really arrived at finding the balance and I, I consider that success, absolutely success. And I make this, I make beautiful products. People, it's all word of mouth for us. And if you wanted to measure it on that level, we sell out every year. So that would be deemed a success as well. And then I get to stretch kind of my artistic muscle. I've expanded from my two flagships and kind of added these micro production. And so I stepped into that possible unknown where I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but I wasn't afraid. And so I think that's success. And you continue to challenge yourself with new ventures. So I think that's awesome. So let's talk about your life here, your personal life. Mm-hmm. I know you're a Georgia girl. I am. And you've created your own little piece of Southern hospitality yes. right here in mm-hmm. the Napa Valley. You've brought a little piece of the South here. Yes, ma'am. So what's the best part of living here in the Napa Valley for you? Well, the beauty. 
Even on this rainy day. Even though it's been <laughs> raining for days and days. The beauty of this valley is never lost on me. And when you leave, when you fly, you know, you go to the airport or you leave and you drive back in, it's just always so fascinating. And it's so, there's so much variety here. It's winter and, you know, and then you roll into spring and it's bright and green. And then you roll into, you know, veraison and the bloom of the vine. And then you go through that whole life cycle and then the vines shut down and it's this kaleidoscope of color, kind of like what we're, we're used to in the south where you get that fall color. You get that when the vines shut down. And then you get the rain and it's green again and it just kind of rolls around. So I love that. I love that we get almost all of the seasons here too. Um, we don't, many would say that we don't really have winter, but it's kind of winter. And I love the people here in the valley. This is a farming community first and foremost. It's sexy farming because we're growing grapes, but it's still farming. We all read the Farmer's Almanac. We're all into, you know, watching the weather uh, at ad nauseum, really. But I love that people are always willing to lend a hand. I mean, it has that Northern California sophistication. We have world-class restaurants. We have world-class wineries. And if I needed to borrow a tractor, I could go in every direction and ask for some help. So it almost, to me, one of the reasons we wound up here is Calistoga feels a little like a southern influence to me. Now, if I need to go shopping, it gets a little more complicated because we're not the metropolis of shopping here. Uh, but uh, that's something that can be managed too. So, Thank God for the internet yes. and travel. And travel, right? exactly. So let's talk about your house. Does your house have some of the similar characteristics as, as your winery? My house is completely different. My house is... Um, Describe it for us. It is more... It was inspired from Montalcino, Montepulciano. And I wanted this very Tuscan-style home that kind of meandered up the hillside with ability for any and all my family to stay. So I think the most we've ever had is maybe 21 people staying in the house. Oh my gosh. <laughs> on couches, on sleeping bags, you name it. But I love uh, to entertain. I love to have people over. I love for us to get in the kitchen and cook together. I'm a big canner. So canning parties and we, you know, you just get everyone in. So our house is very lived in. Every space is used. There's not a formal sitting room or dining room. It's all very California in an open format, but it meanders up the hill and we have about seven different roof heights. So it really kind of blends into the hillside. I mean, you probably didn't see it when you drove in. So no. it's uh, even in the dead of winter. So it's very Italian in style, Italian plaster walls but lots and lots of doors and windows so that you feel, you see all of the beauty of the Napa Valley from inside the house, outside. You said you love to entertain. Do you have a tip that you can share? Well, no, not to be a shameless plug, but what I'm really <laughs> known for is the recipe in our book, In the Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. My Granny Joanne's buttermilk-infused soaked fried chicken is always a crowd favorite. So if we can make fried chicken with uh, and have our Sauv Blanc, you just 
you make new friends. You can't go wrong with that. If you didn't drink Pfeiffer Pabot mm-hmm. or your whiskey, mm-hmm. what would you drink at home? Well, it depends on the season. So if we're in harvest season and we're going out and checking grapes and tasting really young grapes a lot, your mouth tends to get a little raw. Think of that favorite pack of sweet tarts or a fun dip when you were a kid and you see it and you think, oh, I've got to have this and it just is not the same. So your mouth just gets really sensitive. So in those times, or when we're doing heavy barrel sampling and I'm just tasting a lot of young fruit, I tend to go to something that's much cleaner and I will have a vodka as my spirit. My, my house drink is a Hanger One Mandarin Blossom with soda water, a Japanese kumquat from my garden squeezed in it, and depends, maybe a little floater of bitters. It's very particular, but delicious. I love that hanger one mandarin, too. I don't even need anything to go with it. Just put it on the rocks. <laughs> I'm glad to know that there's someone else that likes that. Is there something people might be surprised to learn about you? Something people a unique surprise. Mm, I know you mentioned canning, but is there a, another hobby or a hidden talent or mm. something you collect that's unusual? I'm an avid yogi. I've traveled all over the world on yoga retreats. That one, that one might might be of note. I have a pretty solid collection of custom cowboy boots. That's cool. Maybe double digits in quantity. <laughs> How did you get started on that? Well, I got my first pair of cowboy boots uh, when Dan Post, when I went to my first Sadie Hawkins dance in high school. And I was so comfortable. I, they just molded to my feet, and I loved them. So any of my boots, I could be in for days and days. So I just... I don't know. It, it's just comfortable. I love them. I did ride horses growing up, and so boots were, were a natural shoe choice for me. But then it became kind of my expression. So you can take a really mundane outfit, one color, nothing super exciting, and a colorful brocade on your boot. Just It's like jewelry. So I have boots of every color, style, different types of uh, skins so I I do tend to be quite the avid boot collector I've tried to put myself a little on restriction of late because one can only wear so (laughs) So many many boots and those are things that they would know I don't think it would come as much as a surprise but perhaps is that I'm a diehard football fan so I grew up SEC growing up with football and it shouldn't come as any surprise I do have two teenage boys I have a one who's a quarterback so football is very very much a big part of our life here and other than rooting for your one of your son's teams who's your favorite team I am a big Tennessee Titan fan on the NFL have the, had the great privilege to become friends with the general manager and the new head coach and their wives and just love it love being part of that process i love the strategy and the the approach behind some people just see football in one light but the the business of football is rather fascinating so i love me some football maybe you should become a part owner of a football team one 
never knows. One never knows. On that note, we're going to wrap up things. Okay. With what I like to call five quick questions. Okay, prepare myself. Oh, it's not too hard. But the idea is not to give it a lot of thought. So here we go. Who is your favorite singer? Blake Shelton. Number of unread emails. The most number of unread emails. Really? I just was traveling for eight days. Do I have to answer this question? (laughs) 1,020. Okay. What's the last piece of candy you ate? A Jolly Rancher. Okay. Strawberry. Who do you call for advice? My mother. And what's one bucket list item? Bucket list item. Gosh, I have so many. I'm an avid traveler. I've been to so many crazy fun places. But I, it's... I really would uh, love to hike to the base count on Mount Everest. I've really wanted to do that. It's become a little bit of a conflict lately with some of the things going on, but I would really love to do that. I also want to go to Morocco. I wish things would settle down so I could go to Morocco. I'll go with you. Okay, I want to go. (laughs) The spices and the food and all of that, I want to do that. I just completed not too long ago one of my bucket list items. I wanted to ski at the only indoor place in the world. So I skied in Dubai indoors, which oh, was very a cool. hoot. But I have been uh, really wanting to go to Bhutan. It's the last zero carbon footprint country. And I'd still like to go and see how they live such a simple life. So that's my probably the highest bucket list item right now. Bhutan. Okay. Suzanne, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.